Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ravi Suman Wellness Podcast. Delighted, and it's great to have with us Babisha Pankania, who's yoga instructor, breath coach, meditation coach. And some of you may have listened into the first podcast episode with Babisha, where we spoke about breath and yoga. And that was a very thought provoking discussion on the role that breath plays in helping individuals improve their health and well-being as well as sports performance. Uh, for those of you who haven't come across uh, Babisha and I, I am also a online personal fitness trainer and wellness coach. I help people with losing body fat, gaining the muscle, improving their health and fitness. Babisha, do you want to share with the listeners Yes, thank you. Thank you, Ravi, for having me. Um, I basically started my yoga journey uh, back in 2006 when I fell into the practice. I come from a background of um, yoga teachers. My my mom is a teacher. My sister is a teacher. I come from a family of teachers. And um, I guess what was lacking was the discipline and the principles of yoga, why, how, and why it benefits us. And just, I wanted to explore more. So in 2008, I did one of um, many trainings and I've just been going since then. It's been over a decade now and I would never look back. It's the best thing I've ever done. With yoga, as I've always understood it since I've had my first Hatha yoga class in 2011 in Mumbai, India, I've always seen yoga as the union of mind, body, and soul. It goes beyond exercise. It goes beyond postures and breathing. How do you see yoga? Yeah, well, yoga is, um, the definition of yoga is union, right? Just like you said, um, body and soul, connecting the two together. Yoga is not just postures and movement. It is moving with conscious breath work. So using breathing as our, like our meditation movement practice and yoga is that for a lot of people who, um, you know, suffer from anxiety, from panic attacks, from, you know, sleep apnea, a lot of people come to yoga to find that sense of focus as, um, you would say instead of moving straight into the meditation and the samadhi part of it, right? We tend to come to our mats, we find focus and movement, and then you move more into the meditative, the restorative, all those types of yoga. There's tons of different types, right? So that, that leads me to asking, for someone who's completely new to yoga, whether they're from the corporate world or, or whether they're in some other profession of running their own business, or they might even still be studying how do they decide which form of yoga is right for them? And the reason why I'm asking that is because my background has, has been mainly in uh, resistance training and weight training and bodybuilding. Ever since I competed in my first natural bodybuilding competition in July 2019, I've you know moved on with training clients since then, uh, helping them achieve their health and well-being goals. So my clients come across different types of challenges. Some of them want to reduce body fat. Some of them want to gain muscle. Some of them just want to improve cardiovascular fitness. How does someone who's new to yoga decide which form of yoga is right for them? That is really a really good question. And the best way, the best advice that I can give is to 
try a few out, see what's at your local studio and, you know, try, try which ones resonate with you. And of course, classes vary from teacher to teacher as well, right? The teacher can make or break your experience in your practice. So I always say to students, if you, you know, walk into a yoga practice and it wasn't really your thing, give it a fair, give it a fair chance, give it a fair shot because my first yoga practice was not um, what I was expecting it to be. And now I'm a yoga teacher practitioner of over a decade. And I, I just think, God, if I made that opinion on one class, I never wouldn't, I wouldn't be where I am today is what I'm saying health wise. So I always say, try a few and see which one resonates with you and then dive deeper into that practice and see what you think, see how it makes you feel. In terms of practice, there's different types. When I was researching this back in 2011, I had people suggesting Kundalini yoga. Others were talking about Raja yoga. Others were talking about Hatha yoga. So can you just um, explain to us the different types of yoga, please? Yeah, of course. Of course, I'll break it down. So so all these yogas pretty much come from the Hatha yoga lineage, where all of these other lineages have come from, have fallen into. So the Kundalini, the Raja, the Yin, they're very, very different, all of them. So um, I'll give you a few um I'll give you a few different practices. Hatha yoga allows us to hold a posture and focus on breath work. Um, Kundalini is a very spiritual yoga style taught by the famous um, Yogi Bhajan centered around chanting and meditation. Very, very vigorous practice. Uh, The Kundalini means um, spiritual energy or life force. Restorative is a beautiful practice. It's meditative. We use props um, such as blocks, straps, sandbags, bolsters, blankets, anything to encourage a passive release of mind and body intention. It is a great style. It works to um, stretch the fascial tissue, the release in our ligaments, joints, bones without an active stretch. And that comes into uh, yin yoga. Yin yoga is another practice which focuses on stretching your connective tissue. So again, particularly the fascia. And in order to lengthen and um, re-lengthen them, poses are held between three and five minutes to work within the energy meridians in your body, as well as cultivating that that deep stretch to activate the tissues. So you wouldn't necessarily be in pain, but you'd be in a lot of discomfort, whereas restorative is more relaxing and passive. But there are tons. There's power yoga, there's hot yoga where rooms are heated to like 32, 40. There's a vinyasa style practice where you're flowing with movement. Each movement is connected to breath work. One last one I'd love to mention is Iyengar yoga. It's a style of yoga developed by the popular um, and famous BKS Iyengar. This class is focused on creating proper alignment in poses and uses props like blocks and straps to help get you there. There's lots, there's tons of different styles. Okay, so with all these different styles, a method to help people decide on the right yoga for them is aligning what their longer term goals are. What brings you to that class um, in the first place? Like, why are you approaching, you know, wh- what's brought you to yoga in the first place? Ask yourself that question. You need, you need purpose on why. And, and you know what? It might just be you want to feel good and you want to have a nice stretch. That's great. So I would say try a few because then you'll know as you get more and more into it, you'll know which, which practices you'll want to more focus on for the state of mind you're in at that time, right? And as we evolve, 
we want to learn more. Uh, we want to learn more of the spiritual side, the, the philosophical side. There's, there's so much to learn. So I say a half a practice is the best place to start foundational postures and then kind of move from there. With yoga and how that helps someone with their exercise and training regime, I often hear from uh, people in the gym, people outside the gym, even on, even on the running track. They are constantly talking about the need to strengthen their core. And uh, when I use the term core, I'm not just referring to the abdomen. I'm also speaking about strengthening the glutes, strengthening the back, strengthening the transverse abdominis, uh, the hip flexors. So. With that in mind, which yoga postures are particularly effective for strengthening the core? Wow, there's there's tons. Again, that, that list is endless. I'm just going to name you a few that bring fire and heat into the core. And these, these poses I'm saying in English, of course, there are Sanskrit words to these postures. But if you know yoga poses, um, to name a few, there's a boat pose, there's plank. So instead of doing the plank on your palms and your toes, you could also do the plank on your forearms like you would in a gym setting, right? I think, I think when people from a gym setting come into a yoga studio, their plank is on their forearms rather than their palms. So lots of variation. So I always say to them, um, you know, the planks that we do in yoga are this way, you know, to draw the shoulders in and back and instead of having the palms far uh, wide apart, but lots of variation arm balances, you know, poses like dolphin headstand, headstand is going to really fire up and activate the entire body handstand. I think out of all of them, a headstand and a plank, I think activate every muscle in the entire body as you practice. There's modifications to all of these. Every posture can be modified, right? So we say yoga is for every body. Everybody can practice yoga. So variations like taking the legs up the wall or doing your forehead, um, your handstand against the wall, using props to prop you up. There are things that could allow us to go upside down with the right props. Boat pose. Every posture has a variation. A teacher wouldn't instruct someone to go into a posture that they couldn't do, but they would give you the tools and the steps to gradually end up into that posture with time, dedication, and of course, practice. That's great. <laughs> I remember the last time I attempted a handstand headstand was in high school. So <laughs> I don't know when I will attempt that again. Against a wall. Always a place to start, Ravi, against a wall. Absolutely. No excuses now. So everybody's heard it now. I'm going to be practicing headstands and handstands. And uh, with the clients that we have, uh, we, we deal with corporates, we deal with individuals uh, from people that are working in the corporate place. And, and just when I worked in factories when I was younger, while I was in high school and I got my national insurance number and I thought, okay, I'm going to start working now and uh, save, save up for college and university. What I've seen in the workplace is the common injuries that people have is knee and lower back problems. More and more often now, even when I'm taking the train or the tube, there's more and more people having those roller uh, laptop cases where they're not carrying it on the shoulder, they're, they're using a roller. So how can yoga improve that joint? and tendon flexibility, especially around the knee and the lower back shoulder area? Great question. Great question. Um, ligaments are designed 
to limit the movement of our joints, okay? Ligaments connect bone to bone in our joints. The tendons connect muscle to bones at the joints, okay? Ligaments and tendons are constructed of dense, regular collagens, connective tissue. The ligaments are dense, okay? They're fibrosis tissues that are designed to limit the movement of our joints. We need balance. Balance is what we're going for in a practice. So you want to familiarize yourself with what normal range of motion looks like, okay? Everyone's range of motion will be different. Hypermobility, for example, someone that's going to go into a really strong, deep backbend um, that can easily fall into one isn't someplace where I'm going to start because I don't have that hypermobility in my back, right? So everyone's different, but a yoga practice will give you modifications. It'll give you certain tools and props to help support our joints. And of course, by all means, do do practice to maintain um, flexibility in your muscles, right? And remember that it takes 30 seconds of continuous stretching for your muscle to allow for you to stretch it, right? For the fascia to be stretched. So take your time, be gentle with your practice. I say don't overexert. I say when people start to overexert, that's when they get injured. Try to take a step back and do what's comfortable within your capacity. To avoid this overexerting, what's the method to do that? Because I remember when I took my first yoga class in India, you know, there, there I was in a 40 degree heated room on, on my yoga mat, sweating. I've never experienced that before. Uh, there was excitement. There was also a bit of anxiety as, as, as in what have I got myself into? <laughs> so, what can we do to be more flexible? It's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to stop you right there, Ravi. Yoga is not about flexibility. And if, if there is a teacher that is pushing you to a point where you are not comfortable, you're not willing to go, your mind is saying, stop. That teacher is not the right teacher for you that they're not teaching you yoga. That is in your best interest. They're pushing you to a point where you're not ready. You know, come on, we know when our bodies can bend as far back as we can. We know when we can bend forward. We Yoga teaches us the tools on how to get there. When you know that you're restricted, you're not going to push yourself further. Even if a teacher tells you, you can go further back, go back, way more. You're not going to go further back because you know your body can't go further back. I'm using a backbend as an example because we do a lot of backbends and spine strengthening postures, but... Not everyone can go back. I'm going to use props. I'm going to use straps. I'm going to use blocks, bolsters, anything that's going to support my practice where I'm more comfortable in going back. And fear plays a huge part. Fear is going to restrict us. Fear is absolutely going to restrict us from doing something that we're, first of all, not comfortable doing, have never done before. We're in a practice that, wow, everyone around us is amazing at this. They've been probably doing it for years and you're just starting out. Everyone has to go at a pace that's right for them. And a good teacher is going to notice that and support them more. That's very encouraging. Very encouraging. It absolutely, I never, ever dis, um, discourage my students to not practice because I've got people practicing with me for 10 years, people practicing with me for a year, six months. But their journey is going to allow them to get to the point where they're comfortable self-practicing. And everyone's journey is different, right? That's what we got to take from this, that, that you're approaching something, you're coming to something with an open heart, with a fresh mind, willing to learn. Not saying I can do that. Remember, yoga is all about leaving your ego at the door. 
We don't bring our egos into a practice. Our practice is just us, our mind, our bodies on a mat practicing. It's our sacred space. So don't overexert. Do what your body can handle that day. Remember, every day is different. That's true. And especially as the muscles get tighter day by day. Exactly. So different practices support. If you did a, if you did a really um, strenuous power vinyasa class the day before, probably not going to be doing a power class the next day. I'll probably be doing a fascial release, a yin, a restorative, something that's going to allow my muscles to grow. At the time that we're having this discussion, we're in a global pandemic. Humanity, the world, is not just facing problems of new forms of viruses, but there's a pandemic of mental health problems. And over the last few years, it's helped that we've seen celebrities and members of royal families talk about it publicly in the media. So what, what techniques and postures in yoga are effective for dealing with stress and anxiety? Such a great question. I'm, I'm going to come back to the breath. I think restorative postures right now give us the opportunity to slow down, to take a breath. So postures like bound angle, supported bridge um, on a block, on a bolster, legs up the wall, anything that's going to leave us feeling more relaxed, more nourished, feel more clarity, give us a boost of energy. I think restorative practice is the best practice while we're dealing with such a global pandemic. So when you say restorative practice, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So restorative practice is a practice where we're relaxed. We've got props around us. We're probably laying on our back. We're doing very passive um, supine um, twists. We're coming into bound angle where our foot soles are together towards the pelvis. Um, maybe a halasana where we're rolling into a plow posture. Things that we're going to hold for quite amount of time and focus on our breathing. So as we're holding these postures, we're internally massaging our organs. We're moving space um, around the organs. We're sending that vital life force, the energy, and just creating more space. That's a... Uh... Very enlightening. And the bound, the bound, was that bound eagle? Yeah, bound angle. Bound angle posture is when you're lying on your back and your foot soles come towards the pelvis, but the knees are open and wide. You just relax the inner thighs, the groin, the hips. They become really, really heavy. That The legs can be supported by pillows on each side. I mean, the, the list is endless on how you can recreate all these postures to feel a little bit of stimulation, but also a lot of comfort. I'm, I'm fascinated because from from the yoga classes that I've had, every, every time I read on yoga, I'm learning a new posture or, or, or I'm coming across a new posture in a new article. Uh, so this is, the, yoga is, is definitely an ocean in itself. Well, you have to book a class with me, Ravi, when you're ready. <laughs> I'll take you through your postures. We'll learn some yoga. Absolutely. And with exercise routines, um, training regimes, people have different preferences. Some people incorporate more cardiovascular into their training. Some people have more resistance training. Others will do more combat sports. For someone who's not doing yoga five to seven days a week, how often should they have 
a yoga session in their weekly training regime. Even if someone is working out, this is only my opinion, of course, but I do think yoga practice would support your workout. So even if you think of yoga as stretching, I think yoga should be practiced every day, even if it's before or after your workout, even if that looks like 10 minutes to you, I think that's enough. I think stretching before a high intensity workout and then cooling down and stretching after are so important and people don't do it. People skip it out. That's when you're going to create injury or tear muscle tissue or just, you know, not, not support the ligaments, the bone structure, the joints. I think it should be done every day. Okay. So using that particular method at the end, at the end of the workout, when people have burned calories, they're sweating, their heart rate's up, and naturally the body temperature is elevated, that would typically be a good time, isn't it, to do some of these yoga stretches because your body's warm. Absolutely. You, you, it's, you, your um, heart rate is going. This is a great time to bring it down, bring your attention back to your breathing, slow down in these passive postures where maybe you're folding over, you're coming into a gentle backbend, you're maybe twisting from side to side, lateral stretches, anything, hamstring stretches, um, runners are going to stretch their hamstrings. When you're stretching your hamstrings, making sure that you're stretching and breathing while you stretch the hamstrings. I have to say, when it comes to breathing, it's happened to me this entire week. When I've woken up, I've said to myself, okay, before I start my day, before I even get on my laptop or start training clients, I need to do my 10 minutes of yoga breathing. That's excellent, Ravi. That's excellent. At times, if I'm not able to do the yoga breathing in the morning, then as long as I factor in some time in the day. So it really doesn't matter necessarily what time you do the yoga breathing exercises. You can do yoga breathing exercises anywhere, anytime. And I mean that. I mean, on the train, in the car driving, if you're mindfully driving, looking and staring at the road, which of course everybody should be, um, you're breathing. Why can't you consciously breathe through your nose? Remember, not through the mouth, consciously breathe from one destination to the next. Why can't that be your 15, 20 minute of consciously breathing in your day? You've already cut your 26,000 breaths, probably down to 17,000 a day. It's huge. The, the, the way you'll feel is, is going to be incredible. I have to say, ever since we've begun speaking about breathing more, it happened to me last night when I was sleeping and I was asking myself, is my mouth open or closed? <laughs> I know, it's silly. It sounds so silly. Ravi, it does. And people often laugh. And, and, and then, you know what? They'll come back to me three, four days later and be like, wow, Pavisha, this is remarkable. There has been a ton of scientific research. I am not reinventing the wheel here. I am teaching you what is so important. And it's something that we've all lost. But incorporating the correct breathing into your workout regime, into your daily tasks, anything you're doing, um, you'd be more mindful and you'd be more present while doing it as well. With that said... Uh, the evolution of yoga, it's, it's evolving. Uh, everyone has an interpretation of you, of you and it. We spoke about different styles earlier on. There's been also a lot of growing research in health and well-being on the importance of gut health, food intolerance. And I, I myself wrote some articles on this on my website. I've now come across more and more clients who have said to me, okay, when you put a training program together for me and you start training me 
just make sure that when you put your meal plan, it's vegetarian or it's vegan. How can yoga improve gut health and digestion of food? So whether you're a, a vegan or whether you're still eating meats and fish, what can, what can yoga do to improve the gut health and the food digestion? Yoga is going to improve digestion with the certain... With the certain poses that we practice with correct breathing. Remember, the gut plays an essential role in um, a variety of functions throughout the body. So when undernourished and out of balance, the gut can contribute to a number of health conditions. And these conditions can be anything as simple as fatigue, allergies, mood disorders, tons, like the list goes on, headaches, migraines, weight gain, um, hormonal imbalance. A healthy lifestyle has the potential to profoundly benefit our gut health and act as a preventative measure to many illnesses. Yoga, I'm going to go back to yoga in particular, is a great way to begin this journey where you can heal your um, body through stress reduction, gentle exercise even, and aiding digestion. Simple things like, you know, people say, oh, I can't do yoga because I can't move like that. There are forms of yoga that you can do sitting in a chair. Such simple things as moving the body with breath, the correct breathing pattern, it will have a massive effect on your gut health. So with, with gut health then, yeah. what about... Um, poses? Yeah, poses. You want to know certain postures? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Think about the simplest seated twist. If you're sitting in a Sukhasana position, Sukhasana is a cross-seated position, and you are moving your right palm to left knee, and we're moving our left palm back behind us in a twist. We are moving our entire thoracic cavity. We are moving our left ribs back, our right ribs forward, and then we're breathing. You don't think that's going to massage internal organs enough to create balance? So you're releasing toxic um, impurities in the body. Lots of postures that stimulate certain organs in the body are going to help. Seated twist, bow pose, bow pose, you're actually on your belly. The bow pose is primarily, the weight is primarily on your lower abdomen and maybe pubic bone up to the navel. You're resting in that arm. You're resting your entire weight on that. So think about resting your entire weight and really opening up your back body. Of course, you're going to start to massage internal organs. Bow pose, Shavasana. Shavasana is just laying down on your back. Just being on your back, not on your bed, on your back. This is the perfect stress reduction pose to activate that parasympathetic response um, and keep your gut happy and healthy, and restore balance in the body. Peacock, I think, is a little bit more advanced. Sun salutations. I'm going to come to sun salutations because this form of movement, these are 12 different movements that flow with breath and they stimulate the digestive fire. So a few sun salutations combined with an inhale and an exhale of breath produce heat in the abdominals, facilitating that detoxification and digestion. So when you say facilitates detoxification and digestion, if someone's got problems with constipation, that would help. Of course, you're, you're going to move. I, if someone came to me and said that they have this issue, I'm going to tell them, let's practice these sun salutations and see how you feel. They're going to feel so much better as, as soon as we've practiced. We're doing two or three or six, however many rounds you want to do. The moment they step onto their yoga mat and practice, they're already going to feel better. Half of the time, sometimes I think this is all happening in the mind or you're, you're telling yourself you have these issues when you really don't. Because you, you, you don't know how or where you're feeling these problems or issues that arise. You're, you're just kind of making it up in your head. 
So how, how does one perform a sun salutation then? There are 12 different movements. Um, I don't even know how I would explain that to you on a podcast instead of showing you in person, but there are 12 different movements that include a back bend, a forward bend, a plank, and a halfway lift. So I've just mentioned four postures that are included in a cycle of 12. It's all movement though. So, so the best way to find out what a sun citation is probably my Instagram. <laughs> I would say go to first or any, any YouTube video will have sun salutations and you can follow along. They're, they're all pretty good. And, and whilst we're talking about asanas or, or, or postures, I've also come across something called uh, the peacock. The peacock is an advanced posture and this is a forearm balance. Okay. It's, it's, it is an inversion as well. So this pose, it places pressure on the stomach and the gut as we turn upside down. So just like a um, headstand, right? Any of these inversions that are going to take the blood in the opposite direction, it's going to flush out and massage while we breathe, right? This one's going to increase digestive fire as well. But once released, that fresh um, oxygen is going to flow to the organs. But it's an advanced posture, right? I wouldn't recommend this to a new student unless they were comfortable doing it against the wall. So sun salutations, even for someone who's a beginner. 100%. Yeah. Sun salutations, anyone can do it. At any rate, I would, of course, completely slow it down so you can incorporate your breath because you can't do sun salutations without the breath. Every inhale is followed by an exhale, of course, but every movement in the body, every inhale is followed by an expansion of the chest. Every exhale is followed by a contraction. So it just, you have to know what you're doing. And and during uh, this week of training students and clients, uh, what have been some of the interesting questions you've been asked that you'd like to share with the listeners? Um, questions on uh, yoga practice. What I normally teach a group that I've been teaching for years. So questions don't always come up, but questions around how to come into a posture and how to come out of a posture with correct breathing comes up. That's, the, that's one that comes up quite a bit. How do I enter a posture with the correct breathing technique and how do I exit a posture with the correct breathing technique comes up? And that, that just comes with practice. I, I don't force the breath on um, any of my students until they're comfortable with the posture. Once they get the posture, they can focus on the correct breathing. The correct breathing, from what I remember, it's four seconds inhale and then a pause of four seconds and then exhale for four seconds. Yeah, but we, we, we wouldn't pause. We wouldn't hold the breath or use breath retention in a posture. We would continue the four counts on the inhale and we would exhale the four counts. So if we're standing in a, in a tree pose, a rikshasana is a tree pose, we're standing on one leg, we got one leg up it to the inner thigh or underneath the knee and we're balancing on one leg, we would just stand in the posture for about, about a minute we would inhale four, exhale four, inhale four, and we just continue inhale and exhale, um, exhaling conscious breaths. And, and when you say exhale, is the mouth open at that time? No, it's closed, always closed. Unless your teacher instructs you to open the mouth and exhale, that exhale would happen probably at the end of your practice when you're laying in Shavasana. So if I, dem- if I, if I demonstrated here right now, I would inhale through the nose. I would open my mouth to exhale. 
that's the only time you would exhale is during a laying down corpse pose, allowing our practice to come to a close. And at the end of the yoga session is the corpse, uh, the corpse pose, is that the Shavasana? Yes, exactly. Yes. Does that tend to be the same pose that's done at the end of each yoga session? Every single yoga practice will end in Shavasana always. What about, what about if it's a different style of yoga? Nope. Every yoga session, every lineage will end in a Shavasana because it is so, that Shavasana is the most important posture we say to practice because that Shavasana is going to lead us into the meditation side of it. So we've done our vigorous asana practice. We've done our vigorous movement practice. Now we want to rest and bring that attention to our samadhi practice, which is stillness and focusing on breath work. And what would you like to leave our listeners with? I'm going to say, if you haven't done it, if you haven't practiced yoga before, go. Go to your first class, practice it. Always bring your attention to the breath. Uh, Bhavisha, it's been wonderful speaking to you and, and hearing about your experience and, and sharing your insight and knowledge. There's always something that we learn each day. I, I think I need to write down some new postures that I've heard of. <laughs> All right. And I would also like to add uh, for everyone listening in, uh, uh, thank you for tuning in. And on the 25th of February, for the Business Live UK Health and Wellbeing event, uh, which is hosted by Business Live uh, UK, I'm delighted to be a panel speaker. So I'll be sharing um, some experience, some knowledge on um, what I've seen is working well for people who want to improve their health and well-being. And also, Bhavisha, you'll be joining me on the 4th of March this year. I will be. Very excited. Yes, so on the 4th of March, I'll, I'm delighted to be joined by Bavisha and uh, my peers who also specialize in performance enhancement in mind and body. Uh, that's uh, the virtual event called An Audience with Ravi. It's already advertised on Eventbrite, taking place on the 4th of March, 3 p.m. UK time. That's 3 p.m. UK time. If anyone has any questions, please feel free to email me direct. Uh, my address is ravi at ravisuman.com. Uh, my website, ravisuman.com. And Bavisha, remind us, please, how can listeners get in contact with you? Please definitely reach out. Any questions you have, I'd love to hear from you guys on my Instagram at Bavisha Yoga. That's where you can find me. Um, I'd be happy to answer any questions and support you on your journey the whole way. Thank you, Pavisha, and thank you, everyone, for listening in. This is a 1386 audio production. 